0: Well, the scripture reading today is from Daniel chapter 4, verses 4 to 5 and 19 to 37. We've been looking at a series of sermons on the book of Daniel. This is God's word for us this morning. Daniel 4, 4 to 5. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in the bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Then in verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heavens, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and whose and which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of t- time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king; it is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from that time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. There may be, perhaps, a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king answered him and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as the eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the day's I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, extol, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we pray now that as we hear your words are explained, your spirit will come upon us. Give us an understanding. Wake us up from our spiritual slumber. And give us ears and a spirit to hear and be changed forever by these words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. While I was reading an article this week about the phenomenon of during this pandemic, of people having all kinds of vivid dreams. So many people are reporting that they have had really intense dreams during this period. One psychologist who studied dreams says there's a spike in people having really strange dreams at night. Researchers have made the connection between people in intense situations and their dreams. In the 1940s, a British soldier who was a POW in a camp, decided he was going to research the dreams of his fellow inmates, Inmates, and he recorded all of them. And these dreams were intense. They had dreams of the past, dreams of escaping. They had dreams of food that they didn't have, but they wanted. Some of them had really intense nightmares about dying Today we're going to look at the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. He was in an intense period. He was really anxious about his life. And through this, though Nebuchadnezzar was the emperor of a vast empire, he had a lot of anxiety. Uh, Today we're going to look at how God works in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He takes him from this place of anxiety to a place of peace. God changes... Nebuchadnezzar's life by changing his heart. You know, in the Bible, the heart is the center of a person's life. It's the operating system, if you will, of who we are. The heart is the central place where we make decisions. It's a place where our dreams are. And today we're going to look at how God can change our hearts. He can take a hard-hearted person like Nebuchadnezzar and change it. Today we're going to look at the idea of the heart, and we're going to look at three things about the the heart. First, signs of a hard heart. Secondly, the healing of the heart. And third, how our heart can be transformed. Those three things. And The first thing we're going to look at is signs of a hard heart. We've been studying this book of Daniel for the last month, and last week we were We talked about this idea that the book of Daniel is more than about one man, one man of faith. Last week we looked at Daniel's friends who were a central part of this story. And in the first few weeks we looked at King Nebuchadnezzar. And today we're going to take one final look at King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the last time he's going to appear in this book. He was a ruler of a vast empire under King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon became one of the great uh, empires in human history. It's a uh, region spanned from modern day Egypt to Iran, from Syria to Saudi Arabia. It was a vast empire that began to expand through King Nebuchadnezzar. But we learn that throughout this story, even though King Nebuchadnezzar had all kinds of power, wealth, intelligence success even though he had all that he was a deeply troubled individual the problem with the king was that it's not that he lacked any intelligence or money or influence but his problem was his heart that was a central problem in his life the heart is the central organ in in our bodies it pumps blood from our head to our toes The heart is also a spiritual organ. It controls our dreams and our desires. The heart is the place where we make decisions about our life. It's the center of our life. And the problem with King Nebuchadnezzar was that his heart was hard. In the the book of Ezekiel, God talks about the problems with his people. And he says that the, the chief problem is they have a heart of stone. They have a heart that's unfeeling, that is that uh, doesn't understand and feel and experience who God is. And King Nebuchadnezzar's problem was that he had this heart of stone. How do we see that? How do we see that and how do we identify that in us? Well, the first way we see his heart being hard was that he's constantly forgetting everything that God has done. In Daniel 4, 4-5, We read that the king is really troubled. He has a dream that alarms him. It's a dream about a massive tree that is beautiful and glorious, provides shade for everyone around it, but it topples. A messenger comes and and cuts the tree down, topples it, and the idea is that until that tree acknowledges the king of heaven, it's not able to rise again. The thing about this dream is that, it's a pretty obvious dream. You know, even I, without knowing beforehand, could have interpreted this dream. It's an obvious dream, especially because King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream just like that previously. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a great massive statue that topples and falls. And the point of that lesson is that it's all about the, the true king in heaven and his kingdom. And secondly, we know that Nebuchadnezzar had a second experience of God in this last chapter. He saw God saving Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He knows that God is a God who delivers, who rescues. So by this time, the king should have known what that dream was all about. He should have known that that dream was about him, about his empire, and his need, to remember and worship the only true God and King. But what, what happens? The, what happens again and again is that King Nebuchadnezzar keeps forgetting. He has a dream. He has trauma. He learns that God is a true king. He learns that God delivers. But every time that happens he forgets. It's the same cycle that repeats itself. And if we're honest, doesn't that happen to us as well? How many times have you been in a stressful situation where you lost your job, where the future is uncertain, you were panicking, you're stressed, you pray to God, and things worked out? God was faithful. The worst case scenario did not happen. And you said to yourself, well, man, God is faithful, God is so good. Uh, I just learned to trust Him. And a year later, something similar happens. A trauma happens. A job loss happens. That next year, do you say to yourself, Well, I've learned God is faithful. I'm not going to stress this time. Or are you equally as stressed? Are you equally as anxious as uh, as you were before? So often... Uh, we don 't learn our lessons either we God teaches us so many things, and we 're so quick to forget we 're so quick to forget that 's why the difference between a growing Christian and a stagnant Christian is not that a growing Christian is a good person, a stagnant Christian is a bad person it 's not that one has a better memory or a better spirituality. The difference with a growing Christian is that they realize that they are forgetful, that they're constantly forgetting about what God has done, and they intentionally and constantly are recalling and are intentionally remembering the faithfulness of God. In the book The Common Rule by Justin Early, uh, the author talks about the idea that we live in a distracted age, that Like with our cell phone, with our kids, with work stress, emails, we're constantly distracted. And so he talks about the idea that you need to have a rule of life. You need to have set things in your schedule that remind you of God's faithfulness. One thing he recommends is centering prayer three times a day. 8 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m. He sets an alarm and on his phone and whenever that alarm hits he knows what to do he also uh, gets on his knees to pray he says that helps him especially early in the morning to get up he gets on the cold floor his body wakes up and he prays centering prayers they are short prayers he's a lawyer so he says uh, at noon when his alarm rings even if he's in a suit he closes his door at his office gets on his knees, and it's usually a prayer of confession, Lord, I've made this work about me, help me to make this work about you. We need to constantly remind ourselves throughout our day, throughout our week, and we need to constantly remember all the times God has been faithful. Constantly tell that to ourselves and bring that to our memory. That will strengthen our faith. One sign that Nebuchadnezzar was very hard hearted is that he constantly forgot. He constantly let his memories of what God has done escape him. The second thing about King Nebuchadnezzar and why he was so hard hearted was his pride. After Nebuchadnezzar tells the story to Daniel, Daniel, as he does, interprets the dream for him. He explains the dream and He simply says, King Nebuchadnezzar, that trees you. Uh, You've had great success and you've done great things. But because of your pride, God's going to cut you down. He's going to humble you. And after the dream interpretation, he gives him a sober warning. He warns the king. He gives him some instruction, some heart-to-heart advice. He says this in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sin by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there perhaps may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel gets to the root of King Nebuchadnezzar's problem. It's his sin. And he names that particular sin, which is injustice, that he's oppressing people. He is, an, he is uh, lacking mercy. After Daniel tells this to him It's interesting because we don't really hear a response In fact, by the time we get to verse 28 A whole year has passed by What's happened? And the answer is that again King Nebuchadnezzar forgets He has this encounter with God God's trying to wake him up He thinks about it for a minute For a day For some weeks But then he forgets Goes back right on On his way So this is what happens in verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? The message that God was constantly selling and sending Uh, To King Nebuchadnezzar, the message was this. In the words of the great poet laureate of LA, in the words of Kendrick Lamar, what God is saying to, to King Nebuchadnezzar is, sit down, be humble. That's God's message. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he's not having that. He looks, he's at the roof of his palace. He's looking down at his whole empire. He probably sees a ziggurat, which was a huge, massive temple. He saw all the canals that he had built. He saw his vast empire and he thought to himself, I did all this. You know, why should I be humble? Why should I humble myself before God? Pride essentially says everything I did is for me. I did this. I did this by my by my hustle, by my intelligence. Pride is the root of injustice and a lack of concern for the poor. That's why Daniel tells the king to change by showing mercy to the oppressed. The temptation for successful people is to believe that they did it all themselves. I did it all myself. Those people aren't just those people aren't successful because they're lazy. They haven't worked like I am able to work. I was listening to an interview with a doctor who is treating people with the coronavirus. And he says that he gets annoyed when he hears people say you know, God healed me. And they thank God for the healing. He says, you know, God did not heal you. I did. You shouldn't be thanking God. You should be thanking me. That's an interesting idea because what Daniel says in verse 17 what he says to that and what he says to King Nebuchadnezzar is that God gives power to those whom he wills. That The reason you're able to do that is that God allowed you. God gave you the strength to do that. He gave you that strength and he can also take that strength away. What God is saying in this passage through Daniel is it's all grace. It's all grace. Everything you have is grace. You know, what would I say to that doctor who says "Uh, you should thank me Not God. I did the healing. Well, I would say to him, I would thank him. Because in part, it was his faithfulness, his skill. uh, Him being in that hospital. But thanks is not just reserved for one person. I would also thank the nurses. Who probably spent a whole lot more time with this patient than he did. I'd also have to thank his parents for raising him. For nurturing him. I'd also have to thank his teachers for educating him. I'd also have to thank the city, the state, for operating educational facilities, colleges, the schools that he went to. The only reason he could take complete credit for that healing is if he invented modern medicine himself and he raised himself in some forest and came out of it fully formed. The reality is that we are all given things, that we are all people uh, who've been given things that we have. There's so many people who are in, for instance, India, in the lowest class caste system, who have very few opportunities. And they may be more intelligent, they may have a better work ethic than this doctor or or myself. A truly humble person says, everything I have has been given to me. That all of my gifts and abilities, there's something that I didn't earn, I was given. And I was given so many tremendous opportunities in my life. You know, whenever I see someone uh, who is homeless, who is an addict, who is in prison, I think to myself, you know, if I was in a similar circumstance, as them, If I was in an abused home, if I didn't have opportunities, if I was surrounded by people who pressured me, that might have been my life. That would have been me. Humble people are constantly thankful. They realize that life is a gift. Everything I have is a gift. I'm going to constantly be thanking people and I'm going to constantly thank my God sign of a hard heart is that you're constantly uh looking down on people you're ungrateful for all that you have had but the final sign of a hard heart is that you're also anxious you know if it's all on you and what you do you're always going to be anxious because you realize what if i don't keep up what if i don't continue to perform and work a sign of a, the final sign of a hard heart is anxiety. Nebuchadnezzar is constantly forgetting God. Nebuchadnezzar is filled with himself. And because of that, he's anxious. He's nervous. He knows deep inside it's not enough. So here's the second thing. How does God heal a hard heart? How does God heal? Nebuchadnezzar might look like a lost cause. His heart is very hard. So what does God do? And this is the second point, the healing of God's heart. How does God work uh, when we are so far away from him? So many of us have wandered from God. We can't remember the last time that we felt close to the presence of God. So what does God do? What does God do? first thing that God does is he sends us messengers. What God did with Nebuchadnezzar is that he sent him messengers to tell him the word of God. You know, that's what Daniel was. Daniel was a messenger of God, a prophet to speak for God. Uh, Do you realize that uh, today God works in the same way? God also gives us messengers. God often also gives us the word of God. You know, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel giving him a word of God. But we have all the Old Testament, all the New Testament. We have the coming of Jesus and all of Jesus' words. And we have all of that, not just the words of Daniel. And really the way that God changes us and heals us is first through his word. Let the word of God thrill you, inspire you, encourage you. One of the principles of the common rule that I mentioned before is that, is the principle scripture before phone. That's one principle of the common rule. And the idea of scripture before phone is sometimes we wake up to our phone. Our phone is the first thing that we're, we're looking at. We're checking our email. We're checking our social media and it sets the tone for our day. We're hearing a word outside first. But what if one of the principles is that we hear from God before we hear from anyone else? That we allow scripture first to speak to us before our phone. One of the things I challenge you this week is to do this. I challenge you this week, this whole week, to put scripture before your phone. So before you pick up your phone, pick up scripture. I want to challenge you to do that in the chat box If you accept that challenge, would you write, I accept this challenge. I want to put scripture before phone this week. I want to hear from God first. That's the first way that God works. But secondly, we need the word to come alive to us. We need the word of God to come alive to us. That's why God secondly gives King Nebuchadnezzar living examples of the word of God. God didn't just give them a messenger. He gave him a message that was embodied. That's what Daniel and all his friends were for. Nebuchadnezzar saw through Daniel faith in action. He saw Daniel's friends survive a fire. He saw miraculous things. These men, Daniel and his friends, were living witnesses. And that's what God also sends us. Uh, God has also surrounded you with living witnesses. God has given you people. You might have grown up in a Christian home or a church.
1: All throughout my life,
0: I recognize that I've had God has blessed me with so many good witnesses, examples, youth group teachers, pastors, mentors, people who have poured their themselves into my life. And I thank God for that. God always gives you people that model what it looks like to walk with Him. And I encourage you this week, especially if you feel a little lost, to reach out to people. Reach out to remember models. Might have been a grandparent. Remember the models of faith, how they lived their life, the fruit of righteousness, the blessings they were To the people around them. And that's secondly what God does. He gives us a word. He gives us a living embodied word. But here's the final thing. When all else fails, when those two things fail, the last thing God does to work in our hearts is he sends trouble. He sends trouble. You see, God tried everything to wake the king up. He was not paying attention. So a last thing that God does is he takes the kingdom from King Nebuchadnezzar. He's driven from the palace. He goes mad. He lives with the animals for a period of time. And you might think that sounds harsh, sounds brutal. But think about everything that God did to wake the king up. He sent him Daniel to give him a message from God that he knew That God had delivered to him. He sent him these amazing witnesses of faith. Of faithfulness. And constantly, time and again, King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get the message. Constantly forgets. So the final thing, and it's important that King Nebuchadnezzar gets it because he's oppressing people. You know, all throughout the Bible, God hears the cries of the oppressed. He, he, he seeks to remedy injustice. So it's important that King Nebuchadnezzar wakes up. So what does God do? He's tried all these messengers, these messages. The last thing that God is going to do is, is He's going to shout. He's going to shout. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, says, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a death world. Final thing that God does is he shouts and he's gonna use pain to wake the king up. He's going to to send discipline into his life. Now I was listening to a pastor prominent pastor talking about how he got called into ministry and he says when he was right out of college uh, he got a call he was thinking about ministry and he got a call to visit this uh, young teenage woman she'd been in a car accident you know before this car accident she was beautiful she was popular she was going places She, she today she would be probably have been a instagram influencer that was her life Is What she wanted to do But she got into this massive car accident And she lost it all A lot of her skin was burned In that accident She was unable to walk And she got so depressed She she tried to kill herself While recovering in the hospital Her mom was so distraught Asked anyone and everyone to visit her So, So this young minister came talk to her. She wasn't really opening it up. He shared the gospel. The good news of what Jesus has done. She didn't say anything. So he left. She didn't. He, he thought that nothing had happened. A few weeks later he gets a call back. Well, she wants to see you again. And he visits her. And she tells him, you know what? Everything changed. I'm so grateful for what God has done. She says that if I if I had not gotten into this accident, I would never have received the gospel. I would, I would have been totally blind to God, not wanting to do, to hear his good news for my life. And she said something stunning to him. She said, I'm glad this happened to me. Because in this, in this place I am, I have so much more. I have the hope of heaven. I have a relationship with God, my Father. I'm glad this happened. It was the only way God was going to wake me up. Sometimes God sends pain into our life, not because He wants to punish us. He wants, us, he wants to wake us up. He wants to draw us closer to Him. Right now, you might feel pain, but would you see pain? as a way God is drawing us into his presence. I love what John Piper says. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. Piper says that God is always doing 10,000 things in our life. He's sending us people and messengers. He's working through our circumstances, even our pain. He's doing 10,000 things. We might just know three of them. God in his providence and his wisdom Is always seeking to speak to us To work in our hearts And he's trying to get us to this final place From healing to transformation He is trying to change our hearts In the promise of Ezekiel God says I'm going to take from you the heart of stone And give you a heart of flesh That's living and beating And this is the final thing that we see with the king The king, after he's humbled, brought to this broken and low place, wakes up, finally. This is what he says in verse 34. The end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation." All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? The key move for King Nebuchadnezzar is that he lifts up his eyes to heaven and he humbles himself. You know, when you're prideful, you're always looking down on everybody. And when you're looking down, you can't see what's up above you. You can't see God. But it was only when Nebuchadnezzar is humbled does he look up to God finally. And not only does he acknowledges, acknowledge him, he worships him. He surrenders to him. In many ways, this is a conversion experience. It's a conversion experience. This, King Nebuchadnezzar went on a journey from being this brutal dictator who's blind to God, acknowledging God, finally worshiping God and giving his life to him. And it's an amazing, beautiful story. One aspect of the dream which foreshadows the king turn, king's turn is in verse 23. In the dream that Daniel interprets that the king has given, the tree is cut down, but it says specifically in verse 23, the stump will be left and the roots will still be in the ground. And that's important because if the stump is left and the roots are still there, the tree can grow back. God can regenerate the tree. Though God takes King Nebuchadnezzar down, though he humbles him and disciplines him, God can regenerate. God can give back, bring back, redeem, restore everything that was initially lost. And that's God's promise for you. During the season, you might have felt like you've lost a lot of things through the season. You might have lost your health, your savings, your job. You might have lost a lot of confidence. But the promise God gives you today is that everything you have lost, God can renew. God can bring back, grow back all that was lost. Maybe if not in this life then in the life to come. That is the hope that God gives us. Ultimately this brings us back to the heart of the gospel. All the kings in the Old Testament they're just shadows of the true king. Kings are supposed to serve God be representative for God but so often in the Old Testament and today people with authority abuse it Uh, They use that authority for themselves to enrich themselves. But ultimately, the purpose of a king is to use that power to give, to serve, and to bless other people. King Nebuchadnezzar started this way, but he learns to humble himself. These kings ultimately point to a true and ultimate king. Jesus ultimately embodies that, that spirit, of the true king. In Philippians 3, it says that Jesus humbled himself, stripped himself of all the glory, became a slave, and served his people, his church. Ultimately, Jesus gives his life, surrenders his life to set us free, to substitute, be your substitute. And Jesus is uh, declared king of kings. Lord of lords, he is our true and final king. Last week I mentioned I was, uh, I've was i been infatuated with this documentary called The Last Dance. And it's a, it's a documentary about Michael Jordan and his bulls. And there's a segment in which people were critical of Jordan because he bullied his teammates. He harassed them. He intimidated them. He said he was trying to get the best out of them. And they asked him about that. And he gets very emotional just in this one specific moment. And he says, I never asked them to do anything I wouldn't do myself. Jesus is uh, the true king. He doesn't bully. And he leads not through intimidation, not by pushing us. But he is a a loving and gracious king. Think about how patient God is in our lives. Think about God's patience in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Constantly forgetting, constantly pushing God away. Think about God's faithfulness in your life. How patient is Jesus with you? How does he love you? He forgives you. He serves you. Ultimately, Jesus never asked you to do something he would not do do himself he serves us in the ultimate way and he shows us the true way to live and that that principle is the way up is the way down I want to close with this Puritan poem called The Valley of Vision and it says this you brought me to the valley of visions where I live in the depths but see you in the heights hemmed in by mountains of sin I behold your glory let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. The contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. In this Puritan poem, Uh, The valley is the place of vision. You know, when you're high up, everything is small. Everything is small, including God. Only when you're down low in the valley, does everything seem great. And you can look up to God in the valley of your life and see his beauty and his power in ways that you've never seen it before. When you're down in the valley, you are with other people. You begin to empathize with those who are suffering and weak and you realize that they're just like you. The valley is the place of vision. It's a place that Jesus leads us to. And he's present in there. It's the place where God heals us and draws us to himself. Place your hope in this king who in the valley will resurrect you to a true life. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for your faithfulness, for your grace. Continue to pour water on our hearts so that they would be soft and humble. Make us broken, healed, humble people that follow you in death to resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.